Hello and welcome to the first episode of this series of Mum Will the Planet Die Before I Do. I'm Babita Sharma. And I'm Katie Glassborough. And today we're chatting to Rosmond Adukisi Deborah CBE, a mum of three kids. Her eldest daughter Ella died of a fatal asthma attack at the age of nine in 2013. Ella is the first person to have air pollution listed as the cause of death at an inquest in the UK. Yeah, and ever since Ella's death, Rosamond has campaigned tirelessly on raising awareness of asthma and the health problems that can be caused by air pollution and its association with the climate crisis. We spoke to Rosamond on the 10th anniversary of Ella's death at the beginning of March this year. What got me here really is, uh, sadly, one of the other titles that my daughter does have is she had one of the worst cases of asthma ever recorded in the UK. Um, Ella is not unique when it comes to asthma because in the UK, uh, 1.1 million plus children have asthma and it's the most common childhood illness in the UK. Um, What's slightly different is the way Ella's asthma manifested and presented itself at the time. Initially, when she became ill, we had no idea what she actually had. Um, She wasn't born with asthma. In fact, she was incredibly healthy. And when you look at her GP records um, before she became ill, and you said to someone randomly, oh, what do you think this child is doing now? They'll probably say to you something like, I don't know, she's at university or doing an apprenticeship or something. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason why I say that is Ella wasn't a sickly child. So she wasn't in hospital. She didn't have respiratory issues. Um, so ultimately what happened to her was very, very extreme indeed. Um, so she became ill October 2010 with breathing difficulties. And by December of that year, just I think less than three months, she was already in intensive care through a hypoxic seizure. And to explain to the audience, a, a, a hypoxic seizure is when there is a lack of oxygen um, to your brain. So it presents itself like an epileptic fit, basically, but it's purely due to um, lack of ox- oxygen to the brain. Um, initially, they obviously didn't know what was wrong with her because if she became ill in October um, and by December, it's a bit early to have a diagnosis. So she was first diagnosed with asthma, I think in 2011. And less than two years after that, sadly, um, she she, she passed away. But I always like to say when I go into schools to speak to people, Ella's asthma was incredibly extreme. And also one of the things during her lifetime, so everyone who is asthmatic, they have what you call triggers. The problem for us was we couldn't find what Ella's triggers were in order to stop the asthma attacks. And the medicine that was around at the time, we now admit medicine is better, but at that time, none of the medicines could control her asthma. So the only way of winning this battle really was um, to find out what her triggers were. And unfortunately, um, that came too late we didn't find out until uh, I think about almost two and a half years after she passed away that it was due to the traffic um, on the road where we live or next to where we live. We don't actually live on the South Circular, we live off, off it. But I always say to people who are not from the UK, the South Circular is not a small road, it's 25 miles long. 
and there are hundreds and thousands of families that actually live off the South Circular. And in North, in North London, we have um, the, the opposite number, don't we? Which is the North Circular. So it's like a big ring road that goes around all of London. And there are yeah, it's huge. it's huge, it's huge. And actually, listening to you speak, Rosamond, I was just thinking, I know that part of the world and it is huge, but I can also see this kind of ring of pollution yeah. around all these people every single day that I've never really thought about until you've just mentioned it now. Yeah, because... it just does, because it starts, if, if you think about it, you've got the North Circular, and then I think you start picking up the South Circular somewhere around Kew, Barnes, and it comes all the way through Putney, Wandsworth, Clapham. It is massive. So I think, I, I mean, there's 10 million people in London, and I think at least a third of them have something to do with the South Circular. So that's quite a lot. Which, in, which also means that many of them will have been exposed to and are exposed to the same conditions that your daughter was. Yeah, and I think sometimes it is also a matter of luck, genetics, but let's make, let's make no bones about it. Every year in London, between eight and 12 children die from asthma. And that has not changed since my daughter died. And also it's very important to get it into con context. A quarter of a million children in London have an asthma a diagnosis. And that is not including children who are under the age of five who are too young to get a diagnosis. So, and that's just asthma. There are other illnesses, but obviously because we're talking about my daughter, we're talking about asthma. Um, so I am not surprised that the chief medical officer, Sir Chris Whitty, last year at the end of the year, he published his annual report on air pollution and health. And for those who are not in the UK and won't know this, this week we've now have data saying that last year there were 23,000 excess deaths. And the reason why I bring that up is we now know that air pollution is linked to things like most heart diseases, most cancers, autoimmune diseases like Parkinson's, autism, dementia, teenage depression, low sperm count, stillbirths, miscarriages. Uh, I'm sure I have left out some. So it, it, it goes to show you the extent of the problem and therefore the likes of me are not surprised at the waiting list in the um, National Health Service and you can easily say to me oh yes Rosamond but we've had Covid until my response will be to you that in areas of high air pollution there were more Covid deaths and Covid was more severe but so as, even... as, yeah, as you were saying that it's linked to, and it really struck me when you were saying, I mean, obviously we're talking about Ella and thank you for sharing her story with us, but we're also talking about you as a parent. And when you were saying at the time, you didn't know what the triggers were. You didn't know, you know, what was exacerbating her awful asthma. And as a parent, that's every parent's, you know, worst nightmare, isn't it? Seeing your child suffer and well, not knowing well, yeah, what, the, because, yeah. what the triggers I were. Mean... And that's air pollution. That, that's really scary. So what we do know is when, not just her, but when there is a spike in air pollution, there is um, more people go into hospital with heart attacks and asthma attacks. It just happens, we're talking about her, but this is a known thing. Um, and yeah, it was incredibly scary because I think now, 
I think since COVID, people appreciate what we've been through as a family more. I think before, when I said she had breathing difficulties, everyone, I think most people just think asthma is quite mild, but I think COVID has changed that. Yeah. And I think as a parent, I, I always, I think people parent into it. See, my parenting, my children will tell you, is to always keep them alive. Um, is because they are so extreme. Um, and that was my job with Ella. I think the feeding her, educating her, that was the easy part. I think keeping her alive was the um, difficulty. I don't know whether there's ever, I mean, there are parents, see, I have to think about Great Ormond Street when we went up there and parents do an amazing job keeping their children going with modern medicine. Um, I don't know whether a parent has resuscitated their child as many times as I have. I can't really say that. But I think um, I'm not unique in the fact that there are parents up and down the country um, each day who do a great job keeping their, their children um, alive. We, we just don't think about them. But there no, are parents I, doing that every single day. Yeah, well, we are thinking about them today with you because you have done so much in Ella's honour, let's say, and her memory as well, because you have taken up this fight, which is a big one, I, I think you'll probably say. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> against air pollution. In London, you talk about it so eloquently in the UK. And, you know, just to reiterate, I think you have been absolutely pushed front and centre of this conversation. Whether you like it or not, I don't know. Do you like being... I mean, what, I don't what is mind. your... I, I, um, motivation I don't mind. here. I don't mind. I mean, I, it, it, it's not as if I was in the stock exchange and I have had to give that up. So I'm very used to, I just bumped into a couple of students of mine who used to be in my year group um, on Monday at the train station. And they were, they were teasing me actually, um, because I was all in their faces when it came to their GCSEs. <laughs> and I think some, some of it is part of my pers personality. Um, I think the background I come from shapes um, who, who you are. I go across communities as well. So I've taught in very diverse schools in, in London. So most of my teaching career since 1997 um, has been in London. And also my children come from um, a background of being, being Asian and being black as well. So there are other things that also affect us living in multicultural um, London. And when I finish this, I'm gonna go out and what do people, I don't know, when people see me on the street, uh, what do people say? They just say to me, well done and, um, oh yeah, tell them, you tell them how it is or I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I have never had to pretend, um, but my thing, and I have to make clear, is not about division, not really. I'm not really about division, really. My thing has always been about uniting people. Um, I did that in education. You know, when I first took on a year group, they were completely divided in their own little fractions. And I think when I went in as head of year nine, the idea is to bring them together. And the same will, the, the same will be when it comes to clean air. Clean air, um, a lot of it is put on the individual, but really we do need the support of government and people like the, mayor, the, the mayors of London. And one thing I'm well aware of is we're not going to achieve what we want if everyone is 
divided. No, that's not going to happen. We need to unite as a force and demand action. And that's not going to work if everyone is all split up into their own groups. So what I try and do, and there have been many heated moments, but I, I always say to people, let's take a breath and let's look at what we're trying to achieve. Ultimately, we're trying to stop children from dying that this is what this is. So if anyone has mistaken what this is all about, mm. because we know during the pandemic, no child died from asthma, the first time ever in this country. We know there are countries like Sweden, Finland, uh, the Scandinavian countries that children don't die from asthma. Uh, and we believe that in 2023, children should not be dying from asthma. Children should, you know, asthma is a lifelong condition and when I started this campaign, one in two children in every class had asthma. This is now three to four. Um, and it's asthma also, but when you have asthma, it, it also limits your, your ability. And what I, what I mean by that is you have to be off school. If you look at most school registers, what's the number one reason why children are off school? It's because of asthma. It just, so rather than, you know, rather than their childhood should be about fun, playing, being with their friends they're spending a lot of time in hospitals and I don't think it's right but it should be obvious I mean you're absolutely right but I think what you're up against or what we are up against is the fossil fuel industry right or the way that we just we heat our homes we move our transport systems they're all powered at the moment well electrifying slowly um but at the moment, we're finding it hard as a society to get off fossil fuels, which is the main uh, no, no, problem. No, no, no. I don't think we're finding it hard. I think the will isn't there. I think yes. that's because people okay. are making a lot of money. Yeah. I think you need to call a spade a spade. Yeah. If people weren't making a lot of money from it, they w we would have moved off it years ago. There so are, how do we get clean air then, Rosalind? Well, we, we, ha we are going in the right direction, but slowly. They've mm. had to be dragged, haven't they? Kicking and screaming. So now, I think after 20, 2030, there will be no more new petrol and diesels. Now, you may sit there and say, oh, but that is seven years away. At one point, that didn't even look, look likely. Yeah, I true. think as people, I think we don't realise how much power we have. And what I mean by that is, uh, in the UK, for example, we are coming up to an election. Come hell or high water, um, I think the last day the Prime Minister has is up to January 2025. They will have to call an election. Now, what I have said to people this time, rather than getting into party politics, I would love, this will be my dream, that when be, they will come knocking on our doors, they will, and they will, they will, they will promise all sorts of things for us. And the only thing I think people should ask them is, what are you going to do about my health? Because the one thing they will put in people's face is the economy. And I say to people, let them have their talk about the economy and then turn around and say to them, well, if I'm ill or if I am dead, I can't work. So how are you going to clean up the air for, for me? And actually put them under pressure. I think they do not feel this is an election winner they don't they don't think it's an election winner they but think you know it's really interesting you say that because i don't know how many people think an election winner is whenever it comes to anything that we're talking about climate they well but they think crisis the economy, cleaner money. like you know it's yeah exactly so the stuff we're talking about isn't sexy for them or doesn't seem to be like a real 
ringer with the electorate. But actually what you're painting for us, and really clearly, is that it is a matter of life and death. It is, because dementia... Uh, no, let's go for cancer. Dementia figures have just come out. I haven't analysed them. So I will come back another time and talk about dementia. That's something that I think more and more families are concerned about. Let's talk about um, cancer. So when I, I was in school, the adverts those days were one in nine people would get cancer. We're now down to one in three or one, one in two. two. Yeah, one, one in, in two. two. Yeah. So people maybe it's got that whole thing a bit like hiv oh it's not going to happen to me oh it's not it, it's going to happen to that person over there or it's going to happen to my next door neighbor but if it's going to happen to one in two of us it is going to happen to you mm. it, it will and you can sit there and say oh but i need to go to work um what can you say i need to earn a living i need to pay my mortgage you are right about that but if you've got um chemo appointments you won't be going to work I'm not mm. saying everyone's going to die. Uh, and what's happened is, based on your demographic, now you see, the richer you are, your class, your race, now yeah. this, this determines how long you're going to live. There is now a clear divide between the haves and the have-nots. There are some people who are going to get a nice life up to their late 80s or early 90s. And there are other people who would just about make 65. Yeah, and so we've talked about this are. a lot, actually, in our, the first series of the podcast, particularly when it comes to climate crisis, talking about the global north and the global south and the big divide between developed and developing countries and who the onus is on in terms of responsibility. But for people that don't know, I mean, I am conscious of the time that we have with you because you're such a busy lady. Um, Carry on. But I'm, I'm kind of... I. I I'm just reading through all the notes that we wrote about you and there was just so much you have done, but one of the big things that you are calling for is a clean air human rights bill. Absolutely. Clean air human rights bill. And for people that don't know, in the time that we have you with us, Rosamond, what is that oh, yeah. all about? And why are you yeah. so passionate about it? Right. I am passionate about it is because fighting to get an inquest almost broke me. And I remember sitting there on December the 16th and listening to the coroner summing up the case, it was over an hour. Then a couple of things stood out for me, obviously why Ella died. He said, without the illegal levels of air pollution on the South Circle, which is a road where we live, not only would she not have got asthma, but she wouldn't have died on that fatal night. Then he looked at my kids and said, well, genetically they are linked to her. So I thought, oh Lord, here we go again. And then he says something like, I am making this very clear and I've taken my time so that people know how serious this is. And I have, I have been at pains to explain everything so that there is no comeback. So he was very, very clear in that. Then we had, from that, we had a prevention of future death report. So no, no, we actually went home for the Christmas and I had to make a decision after that because what I had started off, we had kind of, when I say one, I don't mean as in one, but I mean, as in we got air pollution on Ella's death certificate. So actually we got what we started off for. So then the, the decision I had to make, because it was so emotionally draining is, do I want to carry on campaigning because I had I had got what I set out to do it's never going to get any better i.e Ella's not going to come back so this is this is the victory I've got then I thought is this government really going to listen to what the coroner has said no really because the other thing I found is 
Yes, he had done a huge report, but then I heard those words, oh, it's not legally binding. And I thought, hmm, hmm. And yeah, we're now in 2023. The Environment Act has been and gone, and the pollutant, PM2.5, which is the worst one, do you think that made it into the Environment Act? Hell no, we didn't make it in there. And he said they need to take that seriously and clean up the air. So far, what is the government saying? They need up until 2040 to, to do that. That's a whole generation away. So I thought, okay, they're not going to do as the coroner said. I need to find another way because people are continuing to get ill and die. What should I do? So we drafted a law with Jenny Jones and Simon Burkett. And rather than starting off in the Houses of Commons, because I knew they wouldn't even look at it, we thought, let's try the House of Lords first. So we managed to battle. We had to compromise in places. We passed it through there. Can I just also, can I, ju can I just ask, when all of this is happening, yeah. where do you pull your reserves from and your strengths from having just, you know, gone into a, an inquest into the death of your daughter that you said almost broke you? Where do you then get the energy to like, get up in the morning to take this monumental fight on? And the self-belief oh. about um, people power. Because one thing that really struck me, you saying, we forget our, the power that we have. But where do you yeah. get the strength? Well, well, I don't know. I mean, anniversaries, everyone knows I'm terrible at them. So I don't do well on them. I think on, on a day-to-day -day basis, it's not too bad. I mean, from here, I'm just going to go meet my friends. And the reason why I'm very, um, I'm very precious about my time is, I could spend every waking moment doing this, so I am not. And those who, who heard the beginning, I don't know whether it was, we were recording then, I said I had to go by a certain time. And I'm very, very strict and making sure I see my friends and I do absolutely normal things. When, when I get to my friend's house, they were not, oh, they saw me at Downing Street and that, because that's quite unique, they might ask me about that. But, but generally they don't ask me about my campaigning or anything. They just want to know I'm okay. They'll say to me, have you eaten? Um, just day to day, they'll say, uh, should we go and catch Good. a film? Friends who make sure you've eaten. That's, that's yeah. the kinds of friends I They'll like. make sure um, my mood is okay. Um, I, I went to take Britain on Sunday with my son because we were a bit obsessed with art. Um, they're doing their GCSEs. So a lot of my time is spent making sure they're well motivated. So I do get time away. I think for the anniversary, I actually recorded a lot of things back to back. So it kind of looks like I do this every minute of the day, but I actually don't. I mean, we're going out this evening for a family meal with all the godparents. So, and trust me, nobody will be asking me about my campaigning there. Absolutely not. So, so that question, I, that, that yeah. question still remains unanswered for me, Rosamond. Like, how do you, how did you find the strength in those, in, in those years following Ella's death to carry on with it, to, to, to see yourself as a campaigner? Not I initially, mean, no. Oh, I think the misconception is, I actually, I think I see myself more as an advocate rather than a, an, an activist or a campaigner. I think people try and pigeonhole you. I think I was trying to get justice for my daughter mm -hmm. and this other world just opened up. So I didn't intentionally set out to do this. And it's through reading lots of um, journals and things like that, I realized that air pollution was a global issue rather than just happening to, <clears throat> happening to me in uh, Lewisham. But um, it is accidental 
that uh, I do what I do. This wasn't what I set out to do. And I think I don't necessarily have a plan apart from Ella's law. I have a, a role now as a WHO ambassador. And what I can tell you is the things we've been trying to change in the UK, we would like to see them replicated across the world. But I met someone who they're very much like, I'm an activist, this is what I do. Um, I don't kind of um, do that. And also what people need to un understand is, as much as I have great victories, I also have very, you know, some of the losses are absolutely massive, but I think maybe people must um, miss them. So for example, I didn't manage to get PM 2.5 in the Environment Act. And what that ultimately means, thousands more people are going to die. And I took that really, really badly. So I think going forward, I kind of realized, I said to myself is, I did need to take a bit of a step back because you are dealing with governments and they are not on your side. Uh, so I don't, I think people tend to, in general, get angry for me. I don't really kind of deal in, I, every now and then I see people get really angry about. That's what I was going to ask actually about the community yeah. around you. because Yeah, people get really angry, which is quite how, healthy. How, do that, how does that community kind of um, support you? Because obviously Ella was part of a, your community. Oh yeah, too, well, they're very know, vocal. How... I mean, yesterday I met this woman who wanted to know that. I am resting and I don't want to read about you <laughs> having a stroke or anything like that. And I find myself going, ooh, mm -hmm. <laughs> or people see me, yeah. people are really kind, you know, like when they see me on the, on the underground, they, they sort of smile. But where I live in Lewisham, no one, so we, we live in um, a generation of like fame and celebrity and things like that, but they don't really treat me like that. And I do forget how well known, for instance, I am. Um, if, if I've been on TV, someone may come up and say to me, oh, I saw you on telly last night. But generally, and I tend to forget, so I, I can go shopping and I've been nagging my children in there. And, and then it's, every now and then people will start smiling. And then I'll think, why are they smiling? <laughs> That's because they realise it's me. I'm completely tuned out because I'm like mum going shopping. Uh, and, but and yeah, people, people in Lewisham are nice and they kind of let me be is what I can say to you because I guess what I do is very high pressured as well and I'm just allowed to I'm leaving here when I live here I'll be walking the street people when they see me they'll just nod and I just nod back and that's the extent of it if and also the press and the media and everyone they're absolutely amazing I think everyone kind of appreciates what I what I do and I think they probably know it's really, really hard and they actually leave me alone. So mm -hmm. unless I'm talking to them about the latest thing I am doing, there is no pressure. That's I'm good. not expected to dress the same way or do something. They just leave me well alone. And because of that, I have able to survive and do what I do. But if it got a bit weird, imagine coming out of your house and if someone was there with a camera, I think I'd give, I would give it all up tomorrow. But I think they know how important this is. And uh, we have needed the media as well. It's been crucial to get the message across to the public. Um, and yeah, I think everyone, look, the public are amazing. They put their fingers in their pockets and they contributed to getting Ella's inquest quashed. As a family, we didn't have that sort of money. And I think they ultimately, they know some of the things that are coming might be hard, but they appreciate the effort. And I think one of the things they also expect from me is they don't expect me to lie. They don't expect me to be a politician. 
and they expect me to tell them the truth from what I know what is going on and that well, is which what is I do which is yeah well we, and you do, we and you know do that. Have that you do have <laughs> and that we know platform. that so well yeah because yeah. that's why we wanted to chat to you on a parenting climate parenting podcast right how do you parent in a climate crisis but but I mean how do you can, parent... can I just answer to that also is by not scaring your children I am very very adamant about that because I have two children whose elder sibling died in front of them and it couldn't have been any worse than that moment couldn't have been any worse. And the last 10 years has been spent reducing their anxiety and giving them a a childhood as much as I can give them despite the circumstances and not scaring them. Um, Because actually, I don't need to say anything, but they are well aware of what happened to their sister and, and, and they know what can happen. And uh, yeah, I am not a big fan of the doom and gloom message. And what I mean by that is I speak in schools and a lot of children have asthma, but when I leave there, I've never had a head teacher ring me and say, oh, the students are really worried since you've been in because they've got asthma as well. You have to minimize, with children, you have to give them hope. You have to say to them, things will be will get okay. And you have to believe things will be okay as, as well. And I am definitely, I suppose because I'm used to being a head of year and um, head of sixth form, um, it, is, it, it, it has always been my duty to, make, to try and put some cotton wool to some degree around young people, especially when it comes to their mental health and going out saying to them, everything is doom and gloom is not my way how we need to communicate to young people. I think yes, that's about see- being a good a good kind of social um, motivator anyway. We spoke to Mitzi Janelle Tan um, from the oh, Philippines. Okay. Okay. And that was a fascinating conversation as well. She was just saying, she's just an accidental kind of, yeah. you know, she has this platform. It's because her community has been, she's found herself under flood water in typhoon. Okay. It's just yeah. happened to her. Mm-hmm. But she was also saying about that tension of, you know, what not wanting to scare people, no. wanting to it's... provide the, the message of hope and, Absolutely. you know, that kind of odd celebrity that you have as well that you were that you were talking to. And, and that hope thing, I think you're you're well, it is very you know, important. Really interesting. It is very, very, you know, children are the next generation. You don't want to be telling a child, oh, you're going to die. You're going to I mean, yeah. what, what kind of parenting is that? No. And, and as parents. We shouldn't put our anxiety onto them. That is not the job of a parent. We are there to make things better for them. I want my children to do better than I have done. That's my whole aim. So I encourage my children in school. I want them to be better than, I want them to achieve much more than I have. My parents, they wanted me to achieve much more than they had. Look, they can read, they know what's going on. So we just don't need to add on to it. One thing though, I do think, I always say to them, do, do make your voices heard though. I, I'm really about collective power, um, whether that, if it means uh, marching or whatever, it's because they don't get a vote. I, I feel they are not yeah, They need that collective action yeah, I think in the absence not of that. Yeah. And, of and actually, I think we realise that um, that's what they are doing, that youth activist movement, particularly when it comes to climate crisis, are really bringing themselves together in a way that puts us to shame, right? They know they know what they need to do. Um, yeah. And it's just having the platform to we be don't, I don't need to convince them. I have never needed. And no. my children are really embarrassed. And, and the sort of people that follow me on Instagram, like really young people, they just go, oh, God, mum. I, I mean, half of 
probably they go some you know most people in the a year group follow me and they think it's really 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 embarrassing <laughs> but I've never had to uh, and by the way I'm kind of lucky like that my outlook on life and I don't take myself too seriously at, at all like when, when I met my ex-students at the train station god I think that they were so embarrassing though they oh, I was like oh but oh Miss Deborah I was like oh god must you do that here I mean really um but you have to have, have a sense of humour about things and not take yourself so, so, yeah, so but seriously. That, that takes a special blend of person, Rosamond. I mean, I'm sure you've been told this a million times, but to, to go through the experience that you've gone through um, and to turn that into this kind of force for good and this campaigning for your, your two children, for the twins, but also for your community and also the global community that that takes a really that's why we wanted to talk to you today yeah, that takes I a think, special blend think, of person I, yeah I think before I, I came into this my my, my subjects that I, I teach I, I, I am known for is psychology philosophy and I, I've done some politics as uh, as well and I think my views about equality it, it, it is very similar again I was the first black head of year in, in my school in 2004, which is a long time ago now. And there are challenges which face us every single day, but I, I think we have the power to over, overcome them. I, I must tell you a, a, a real story. See, I, you must use humor all the time. So on Monday, I went to my lawyer's office and <laughs> When I got there, I had like a like like a band around my head, which is really African kind of print, and it was around my head. Anyway, I got there, and there was this young boy. He, you know, he could be in my year group if I was in school. Then I said to the woman, "Oh hi, can you let my lawyer lawyer know I am there?" Then he he decided uh, no. Before I said that, he when I came in, the first thing he went is in in a stupid African accent. He went hello auntie and I thought that's just a bit odd to <laughs> be like that now most people would be so offended but I thought no not even not going to rise to it I know what I'm going to do I am going to ask for my lawyer in the most British accent he has ever seen and I know his face is going to completely drop which it did <laughs> so he's doing it and now I'm thinking you know this weird kind of thought oh you're, you're just being an idiot but rather than get angry I just think oh he's just not educated is he he's just seen the band and yeah I know what he's thinking so when I asked to see my lawyer I then turned and looked at him and he looked as white as a ghost and I went all right and he goes, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah and I said oh and another thing remove your feet from that table and he went yeah yeah okay but I can see what initially when I walked in what he was going to do but or see things like that. If someone like like that was in my year group, I'd be like, "Can you come and see me after school?" I, I, I have I have the feeling that you need to be present and every single <laughs> prime minister's questions possible to make things happen. Because if there is anybody that I think we have interviewed Katie on this podcast, <laughs> Rosamond is going to be the one that is going to solve most of our problems what do you reckon yeah and inspire us to to do it as well it's so important and I love you um talking about it today that we forget how powerful we are as no, we individuals do. as parents with a vote as young children without a vote yet but that agency that we have it's just 
you know, especially for a parent like you who's been through, you know, the trauma of losing a yeah. child to air pollution. So for you to remind us of that is really, really. I, I think it's really, you. I think it's really important to inspire young people. You know, when I was head of year, my kind of motto was aim high, and they they would respond by going aim aim higher, and and the best days of my life in teaching were always when exam results came came out and they have achieved what they want to achieve and go on and do what they want to do. And even children that didn't even get what they needed to, needed to move to the next stage, one was able to say to them, look, there are other choices you can make um, out there. All is not lost. And I think my strength and stuff comes all the way back down to my childhood. Um, and I, I was brought up by um, incredible foster parents and they, you know, sadly my foster mom is no longer alive to see um, some of my achievements, but she, she always used to say to me, you know, make sure you leave the world in a better place than you found it. And I think, yeah, she'll be proud. That's the amazing Rosamond Adukisi Deborah chatting to us and well, well, what an incredible woman. And for me, Katie, I think the fact that she doesn't like to call herself a campaigner, as she just said there a little earlier, was quite astounding because she has managed to do something quite extraordinary, which is get a community and get community awareness around this subject matter, which is just so important because, as she said, many more children sadly have died since Ella's death in 2013 because of air pollution. Absolutely. And I think the thing for me about Rosamond is that ability to get a community really aware of the issue of air pollution, but not scared by it as well. You know, I know she's kind of conscious of that also with with her twins. And that's such a difficult kind of parental job, isn't it, of raising awareness and not not being alarmist and how she's raising a global community as well. You know, she's working with so many people around the globe on the crisis that we have in our with our polluted air. And what an amazing, amazing lady, incredible, humble and lovely. Yeah. And the fact that she chatted to us after the 10th anniversary of Ella's death just goes to show how she is relentless in making sure that um, she can do everything she can in her power to bring an end to the bad air that some of the kids are breathing or a lot of the kids are breathing um, in and around very urbanised areas in the UK. So, Rosman, thank you for chatting to us. It was a real honour. Yeah, absolutely. Join us next time on Mum, Will the Planet Die Before I Do? We're going to be chatting to the entrepreneur Ollie Cook, who set up a business that enables everyone to track their climate impact and hopefully influence their behaviour simply by the way you use your bank card. We'll explain more. That's coming up next. See you soon. Mum. Will the Planet Die Before I Do? is a Corner Shop media production presented and produced by Babita Sharma, Katie Glasborough and edited by Nisha Patel.